This morning, we are going to read from the gospel according to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, verses 1 through 21. Here we read as follows. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him, for them, in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who was Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And our text this morning is verses 10 and 11. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today is Christmas Day, and for a lot of people that means the stressful end to a stressful time of year. No matter where you go, as I'm sure you're aware, you've been bombarded in the last six or eight weeks with all the advertising leading up to Christmas, 
marketers have managed to persuade us that your love for someone is measured by the price tag on the gift that you buy them. And so a lot of people buy gifts that are more expensive than what they can afford. And even if, even if you're not a part of that, the shops are always unusually busy at this time of year. And everyone has a short fuse. Stressed out people in a big hurry. Advertisers spend enormous amounts of time and money to catch the attention of people at just the right time and place. And computer algorithms have perfected that process. People have devoted a lot of resources to working that out. And so if, if at this point you still want anyone to pay attention to anything at all, you're competing in an incredibly crowded field. And so how can a scripture reading from today even get through? People are not prepared to hear what the true message of Christmas is all about. Maybe we aren't either. And that's why we need to think about the Christmas message from a totally different perspective. It's not just one more piece of information in a sea of information competing for our attention. It is in a totally different category. And it calls us to respond not just with our wallet or with good intentions, but with our whole life. Now, the people who first heard this message realized that as well, and that is why they wanted to pass it on. And our text this morning captures some of the energy of that Christmas message, and it says, stop what you're doing, stop what you're thinking about. You need to hear this. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And so this morning, if we listen to this message carefully, then we can capture some of that same energy, that same sense of urgency. The gospel, you need to hear this. A Savior is born, and He is Christ the Lord. So, the first person to read this story that we read together, this narrative, was Theophilus, Luke's sponsor. And Luke writes about that in the opening verses of his gospel. Uh, he was a doctor, according to Colossians 4, verse 14, Luke was, who, who was also an amateur historian of sorts. And so, in his uh, preface to the gospel, he, he writes to Theophilus and he explains that he'd gathered eyewitness testimony and put it together in an orderly fashion. And now Theophilus, if you, if you listen to that name, it's not a Jewish name, it's a Greek name, and the audience for the Gospel of Luke was primarily Greek-speaking people who had come to the faith and who probably already knew a little bit, but they wanted to know more. And so Luke is, is kind of working with concepts from both worlds, the biblical world and the Greek, Greco-Roman world at the same time, and he works with both of those in writing this Gospel. And and so from that perspective, we read our text, which says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Savior is not just a biblical word. Theophilus would have been familiar with that. What would he have thought when he read the word Savior? Well, in the Greco-Roman world of those days, a Savior was anybody who, uh, in a sense, helped you out of difficulties, who improved your circumstances, someone who, who could help you. So when the word Savior was used, it could refer to any one of a number of people that we're familiar with, like a doctor, for instance, could be regarded as a Savior. 
and still is for many people today. Um, a, a successful ruler or administrator was a savior. Even a philosopher could be a savior because philosophers save people from becoming barbarians by teaching them how to live. So the worldview of these people was not different from our own, really. Our culture also holds people with a medical or scientific background in high awe, and you really don't need me to remind you of the um, COVID era. We all noticed that during the pandemic. And today, we might not know many philosophers, but many of you would be familiar with the name of someone like Jordan Peterson, for instance. You've heard the name, and, um, and what has he done? He's written 12 Rules for Life, right? A multi-million copy bestseller. So these are the sorts of people that um, our society and maybe us as well look up to, to a certain extent, to, to make it through life. And we're not that different than from these people in, in Greco-Roman times. And what's most interesting is that they already had a savior. These Greco-Roman people had a savior. His name was Caesar Augustus, the emperor. He had brought peace into the Roman world. By the time that Gabriel brought this message, Augustus had been reigning for several decades already. According to the 19th century historian Edward Gibbon, at this period of time under the, what was called the Golden Age of Augustus was the happiest time that the world has ever known. Now, if you were here yesterday, then you'll know that, that there would have been also people that disputed that. But generally speaking, this was considered to be the golden age. He had crushed all opposing forces. He had ended all war. He had brought worldwide peace and prosperity. And that peace was called the Pax Augusta, the Augustan peace. And it was such a big thing that the Romans had actually built an altar to the Augustan peace in the city of Rome, and there were Greek cities in Asia where emperor worship originated, which rearranged their calendar so that the first day of their year would also be the birthday of Augustus. His birthday was considered to be good news for the world, tidings of great joy, and they wanted to remember it in that way. In fact, there's an inscription dating from just before the birth of Christ, and there's multiple copies of this inscription located in multiple places. Um, Scholars have managed to collate them and piece them together and come up with what they believe was the original message. And uh, one of these was from a place called Prien, a city in what, what is now Turkey. And here's what the inscription says. So this one, um, going by memory here, I think it dated uh, nine years before the birth of Christ, somewhere thereabouts, 9 BC, let's say. And here's what the inscription says. Since providence which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, so the emperor, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world. End of inscription. So now... Think about that line. The birth of Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world. And you compare that to what the angel says. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And you compare these two things, it sounds a little bit subversive, doesn't it, what the angel says. And then you start to think a little bit more about, well, what's the angel talking about? And you see... You start to compare these two saviors and you see that they could not be more different. 
On the one hand, we have Augustus, the maker of worldwide peace, been on the throne for several decades. And on the other hand, you have what? A baby in a manger. That doesn't really seem to match with what you expect when you hear about good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There's this tremendous contrast between what you expect when you hear our text and what you get. Is that the sort of Savior that you were expecting to get? Is it the sort of Savior that you were longing for? Maybe not. And that's because as people, we're always dealing with symptoms. We deal with the problems and difficulties in our lives. We go to various people to help us with these. And yet, at the end of the day, we never deal with a real problem because the real problem is much deeper than that. The real problem is a problem of the heart. The real problem is that our hearts are not right with God. The real problem is a problem of sin and and many of the other problems that we have in life in some way connect back to that. And even for, for problems in which we have no part, they all are part of the groaning that the world lies under, the result of the fall into sin. And Scripture says it affects each one of us. By nature, each one of us is separated from God. And that's why the coming of Christ is such good news, because He came to reconcile us with God. The salvation that He extends to us is not that He takes all of our problems away so that we can keep on doing what we were doing without having anyone get in our way. No, what He gives us is something much greater. He gives us peace, peace with God. And it is not something that we should expect or take for granted. You see that in the reaction of these shepherds when when the night is torn apart in a blaze of holy light and they're surrounded by the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is the visible manifestation of, the pre of His presence, often uh, portrayed in Scripture in terms of really bright light. Think of looking at the sun, how hard it is, how difficult it is to look at the sun. You can't really look at it for long without damaging your eyes. And, and often the glory of the Lord, this bright light, is portrayed in those terms the visible manifestation of God's splendor. Anytime that people see this in Scripture, they respond with terror. Why? Because they suddenly see very clearly in a way that we don't always know that they are sinners. Sin is what separates us from God. And so when this glory of the Lord, this light of His presence suddenly surrounds them, they become very aware of that separation. And that's what happened to these shepherds. They feel exposed in this light with all of their sins, and that's what makes it so terrifying. And really, are we any different? We were sinners too. God can see into our lives as well. We might have it all together on the outside even, but God sees the heart. God knows. He knows us very well, including our sins. And so look at what the angel does. His very first words very first things he, thing he says to them, fear not, fear not. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ. Christ, what does the word Christ actually mean? Sometimes people use it as a surname. They think that, that Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name, his surname. 
but really Christ is just a Greek word that means anointed. It's a title, and it means that He is authorized. He is qualified to save us from our sins. He's qualified to carry out His office. He's anointed. That's why it says in Hebrews 7 verse 25 that He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. And we desperately need the Savior because in no way are we qualified to save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do on our own to take away our sins, and we all understand that on a theological level, but so few people understand it with their heart. So few people live accordingly. And so we compensate in some way, and, and we try to be generous to the people around us. We try to be kind and pay our bills on time and volunteer in different capacities. And, and all of those things are, in and of themselves, they can be good, but it can also be a way of, of trying to compensate for our fear try to get ahead of other people because we, we feel in our hearts that things are not right between us and God. And the fact is we are not qualified to save ourselves in any way, shape, or form. We prove that every time that we sin, no other person can help us either. And as we heard yesterday, the descendants of David, even King David himself, disqualified himself themselves by their sins. There's only one person who is fully qualified to wear that title of Christ, of anointed. Only one person who is fully qualified to be the Savior and take away the sins that are so deeply rooted in the very fiber of our being, and that person is Christ. He came in the flesh. He came to live and to die as a substitute. That is what you need to take away sin. The Savior is Christ the Lord. And only when we respond to that in faith, only then can we have that peace. Then we can be in the presence of God. We can look forward to His glory without fearing death. And the shepherds understood this very quickly. Isn't it remarkable when you… What was the difference really when you look at what happened before and after? They were filled with great fear, and then afterwards they, they say to each other, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And what has come in between? What has made the transition from the one state of mind to the other? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The words that the angels spoke to them. Because that message, when they believed it, restored to them a sense of peace. It made them realize that the Savior is their Savior as well. And now they have peace. They have joy. They have this joy of salvation. And it didn't leave them apathetic. They went to investigate. They wanted to to see for themselves. They wanted to reach into what they had been given. So what about us? Do we share in the same sense of joy that the shepherds did? The angel said he's bringing a message of joy for all people. Well, we're part of that, aren't we? It began with the shepherds, but it didn't stop there. And so our passage is saying this message is for us as well. One, one of the things that makes it difficult sometimes to believe is this sense of separation between that time and ours. These were people who lived in a different country, different culture, different time, different language. And here we are in the little town of Mundajong, in the Shire of Serpentine, Jaredale. Is it really for us? 
And, and Scripture says, yes, it is. Because these were ordinary people, these shepherds. You can't get much more ordinary than that. They, lived in the, they were in this out-of-the-way place, poor people who were living rough, sleeping outside with the flocks. If they were Australians, they would have been swagging it. And these were the first people to hear about this news. The first. And that goes to show that this message is for everyone, even for people in out-of-the-way places, all kinds of people, not only for the educated, not for the spiritual, not for the religious only, for all people, even those on the margins, and therefore for us as well. And we need this gospel. If we didn't need it, then it would not have been given to us. But we too are the kind of people who need a Savior. And maybe some of, some of you wonder still if the gospel is really for you. You've read it your whole life, but, but in some way you still question whether or not Jesus is your Savior. And then the gospel speaks to that. It says, yes, yes, he was. You need to hear this. A Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. That's the second point, that he is Christ the Lord. And now the angel reaches back into the Old Testament because this is all part of God's work through history, God's work in fulfilling his promises and bringing his Messiah into the world. And so the angel refers to the city of David. It's an incredibly compact message, actually, that he brings across. He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And um, Bethlehem is not a city. It was not a city. We even have a Christmas um, carol a little town of Bethlehem that indicates to us that this was not a city. But the angel says the Savior has been born in the city of David. And if you read the, that at face value without understanding what he's saying, it might almost seem ironic. But it's not. This message is actually a royal announcement. And he's tying back into prophecies like, for example, the one in Isaiah 9 verse 7, which was spoken centuries earlier. Six, seven hundred years earlier, and Isaiah said, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So, so this connection to the city of David puts a royal flavor on this message. It says the Savior is going to be king. He ties into the line of David is going to rule over his people, and that brings us back to today, doesn't it? Because he was born for us as well. He is our Savior, but now the question is, is he also our king? And there's a call here to believe that this royal king is our king as well, that this descendant of David did not only rule over the house of David, but over our lives as well. And if you, if you start thinking about that, it's, it's interesting that he doesn't actually mention the word king here, the angel. He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the city of David is an allusion to the old Davidic kingship, but he doesn't use the word king. Even though that did appear um, indirectly in, uh, in, for example, Isaiah 9, verse 6, which you just read. It said, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. But he doesn't refer to a king. He uses the word Lord, and that actually goes even deeper. 
And the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Theophilus's readers would have been familiar with as well, um, Luke's readers, I mean, like Theophilus, that word Lord was often used to translate the divine name Yahweh. And so what the angel is saying within the first few um, words is that the Savior who was going to be born is also God. He's not just king, he's God. He is the absolute sovereign over all of his subjects. His rule is not a democracy. He did not get elected to the position of savior. His rule includes the complete ownership of his subjects. Think, for example, in terms of Lord's Day 1, the catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. That kind of thinking is in the background here of what the angel says. That's what lies behind this word, Lord, because... He alone can save His people by purchasing them with His blood. He alone then also has complete ownership of them. The angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And that word, this day, today, is meant to highlight the readers to the readers that this message is a current message. It was today to the shepherds. It is today to us as well. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, it is always today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he goes on to say, they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. And he's speaking there to God's covenant people. The letter to the writer the letter of the writer to the Hebrews quoted here from Psalm 95. Psalm 95 was a psalm written by and to God's covenant people. And that sense of today comes back in this message as well. Also to us as God's covenant people today. Because we have God's promises, we need to respond to them in faith. And one of the ways that we do that is through our life. And so the text is subtly making us ask the question, is he our Lord as well? The, the news is for all people, but how do we receive it? Is he your Lord? The, the text says he alone is the legitimate Lord over his people. So will we acknowledge his Lordship over our lives and will we act on it? Because he was not only born to save us from the punishment that our sins deserve and then to leave us to our own devices. No, he was born to give us new life. Born so that we can live a new life, free from the dominion of slavery and sin. As Paul says in Romans 6 verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And that's also a part of the Christmas message. Yes, Jesus was born to save us from our sins, but he was also born to give us new life. Christmas is about a baby in the manger, but that baby inherited the universe. The universe was his from, his from the start. He made it. It fell into sin. He was born into it as a human being. He redeemed it from the inside out. He is Lord. He is sovereign. He is the King of kings. But is he your Lord? Is he the Lord of your life? And our text says, if he is, then the angel's message is a message that will bring you joy as well. You need to hear this again and again and again. A Savior is born. He was born for you. He is your Lord. You belong to Him.
Acknowledge Him. And then you will have true joy. And you'll have peace, which is the one thing that no one else out there has. You've received the Christ who has come to His people, the Christ who created peace, who restored the relationship between God and a sinful people on the deepest possible level by atoning for their sins, restoring them, and giving them new life through the Spirit. And that is the gospel. And that good news compensates for any other bad news that makes us struggle. Because you know what? For a lot of people, Christmas is not a good time of year. Maybe even some of us struggle with difficulties. Maybe even some of us don't have much joy in our lives at this time. Maybe even not now. Maybe we don't feel like anyone really gets it. Maybe even hearing the sermon made no difference. But remember this one thing. A Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. He claims us as His own possession. He calls us to respond in faith. He equips us for life in His service. He promises us eternity in His presence. And that's the blessing that we receive. A blessing that we remember on this Christmas day much greater than anything that you could ever buy or give. All other gifts pale in comparison. And it's for us, abundant, it will never run out. And there's nothing that we could ever do to deserve it. So today's reading speaks to us all. And it calls us again to believe, to respond again in faith to the gospel, to invite others even to come and join. Because it's a message we all need to hear. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. Amen.